Welcome back to Behind the Play. My name is Alex Adams, and today I'm very excited to introduce our guest, Farhan Lalji, who covers football and the Canucks for TSN. Uh, Farhan, I feel like I've known you ever since I was a kid watching you on TV, so it's, it's really cool to have you on. And sorry again for making you maybe feel a bit old, but uh, thanks so much for coming on. <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot these days. 25 years at TSN and 28 years in the business, it, it kind of takes you in that direction for sure. I have a lot of uh, even athletes that I cover say they remember me from when they were little kids. So uh, good and bad with all of it, right? Yeah. And uh, I just wanted to first ask you, uh, as I always do with with our guests who are in the sports media industry, when did you first think you might want to pursue a career in, in sports media and journalism? Probably not till I was in it, to be quite frank. You know, I, I, um, I thought about it at various times, you know, because as a person that was just incredibly passionate about sports uh, I wanted to find a way to stay in it right somehow and uh, you know part of me thought I might go down the coaching trail right because I was involved in coaching high school football at a very young age so you know did I did I want to pursue uh, making coaching my profession and then and then broadcasting also became a part of it and you know at at the time when I was young you know and in the in the mid to late 80s um, in this market in Vancouver there were so few outlets and platforms and digital media certainly wasn't a thing at that time. And all sports uh, radio and, and all sports television was really in its infancy. So you know, we had like three stations in the, in the market and the people that had been in those jobs had been there forever and didn't seem like they were going anywhere. So I, I didn't think that that would really be a possibility. I thought maybe, you know, maybe I'd get into PR or something like that for a team or, or maybe front office work or something like that if, if I didn't go down the coaching road. And then I um, was the sports information director at Simon Fraser University. And, and, you know, prior to that, during my time at the school, I did volunteer work on uh, campus radio, you know, doing play-by-play for the games and uh, community television and writing and things like that. And then I, I got the job as the sports information director at the, at the university. And uh, again, you know, even then I thought it would probably lead to a, you know, maybe some work with a team or something like that, but not, not on-air broadcasting. And then I got offered a job in radio production for a year uh, back in 1994, which was the year the Canucks went to the Stanley Cup final. And I was producing and, and doing updates and, and sometimes filling in as a host. And then, uh, you know, at that point, I kind of thought, okay, maybe this is real and, and I, I quite like it and maybe I want to pursue it. And then 95, I got a, um, a job offer at uh, CBC anchoring the weekend news, which kind of came out of left field. So I did that for a couple of years. and. Um, networked at TSN along the way. And then in 97, when they expanded what they were doing in Vancouver, then they hired me and the rest is history, uh, you know, for the last 25 years. And, and like over your career, like you've covered like Stanley cup finals, NBA, NFL, everything, great cup. Mm -hmm. What's kind of your most like favorite memories, obviously the Canucks went to the finals and there was the Olympics in Vancouver. So yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I, um, I have a tough time saying there was necessarily a favorite, but some of the things you mentioned, you know, I've been to like, you know, I think at least a dozen Super Bowls, probably more. Uh, those are fun and, and, you know, a ton of great cups. I think I've done 18 great cups, which has been, which have been great. And five Olympic games. Uh, my first in Athens was fantastic. Uh, London was great. Certainly Vancouver um, being up in Whistler for all of that. And then being down here to cover the gold medal hockey game was a lot of fun. And um, you know, I don't do as much in the way of basketball and those things anymore, but I, you know, I've done a lot of NBA finals. I was, I covered all three of uh, the Lakers um, NBA mm. titles when Shaq and Kobe were both there together, got caught in a riot when they won their first one. Um, 
you know, so, so there's a bunch of those kinds of things, but yeah, like, you know, the, the events that you'd think were memorable uh, have proven to be that way. And um, like, is there, what was it like to cover the, the Olympics and, and the Stanley cup final in your backyard? It was great. You know, I'm such a, um, I'm such a proud Vancouverite and West coaster and BC boy. Right. And all of those things matter a lot to me. So uh, to see our city on display uh, in front of the world and, you know, you know, it's a world-class city, but for everybody else to see it and, and recognize it as such. And, you know, for the Olympics to be a catalyst for even further economic development and growth and facilities and things like that, it, it was fun. And, and just seeing the way the city celebrated for the entire two weeks. And most of my time was in Whistler, which in itself is a bit of a unique atmosphere, you know, because I, I've done winter Olympics in mountain venues. Right. And, and those are, really cool to be a part of, but to see it at Whistler was, was really good. Um, you know, when John Montgomery went down the street with the big pitcher of beer, you know, I was uh, in and around for that. And, and I just, I did have a chance to come back into the city for a couple of days and just seeing the way it was celebrated, you know, uh, throughout the city, all the, the street parties that just kind of organically developed. And, you know, my son was uh, just, a, you know, a, a baby at the time and we brought him up to Whistler and he got to hang out with us a little bit. Uh, he, I think it was only two at the time. And, and then um, just, you know, all of it, it was a unique experience. I remember being in the CTV control room when they made the announcement, right. And so CTV was covering the announcement live and, and the entire room just burst with excitement and cheering <laughs> and, and people were emotional and, you know, you're all supposed to be objective, but you knew what it meant to the city to, to have that. So that was like seven years before. So 2003 and I was in there and, we all just got so excited and, you know, we were all emotional and then to see it kind of get seven years later when it, it actually happened. So it was a lot of fun. And, you know, covering an Olympics is so different when you are a rights holder versus when you're just covering it as general news assignment. And I've had a chance to do both. And then you're a rights holder, but then you're a rights holder in your own home city, uh, you know, and the access that you get and, and what comes with that. It gives you a few more special moments with the athletes and in the venues and just access, which makes it even more um, more fun to be a part of. And I, I guess just, you know, coming up in the industry in Vancouver uh, and as a person of color um, going into probably, you know, at the time, much more of a white dominated industry. How has the sports media landscape specifically in Vancouver changed over the years for especially for opportunities for people of color? Oh, it's changed tenfold, you know, to the point where if you're a white male, I, I feel for you, right? Um, you know, and uh, it, it's hard to break in in the mainstream media now because there's such a great amount of pressure to balance the scales and to make sure that people that are on the air are representative of the people that are watching them, right? So uh, when I started, there was nothing, you know, and, and I get a lot of people of, of my color and ethnic persuasion who come to me all the time and say that, you know, you uh, allowed me to believe it could be done, mm. right? Uh, Nabil Karim is a really good friend of mine who, oh. you know, is from this market and then went to TSN and then ESPN and now works for TNT, you know, and we, uh, we were visiting the other day when I was in Atlanta for the Peach Bowl. And, you know, and we, we've had this conversation before, but um, he needed to see someone do it to think he could do it. And I spoke at his high school when he was a wow. student at Burnaby South, right? And for me, there was only one person, uh, Ian Hanamansing, yeah. that was of color. He wasn't in sports. He was in news, but he was the only person that was doing it, right? So I drew a little bit of inspiration from him when I was breaking in. But I, truthfully, I, I didn't feel... Like I couldn't, you know, because I did have a lot of friends and I had developed a network and people were really supportive of me. You know, Barry McDonald, who's such a, 
um, a popular figure in our city from his time at Sports Page and, and 1040, was a real advocate for me and really helped me get my first job in television. And quite frankly, I got my first job, um, I got my first job w- with, uh, with CBC and, you know, I, and I'm sure it was a diversity hire, right? I was totally not qualified mm-hmm. for the job that, that I was uh, being given, right? And I'm, I'm sure my um, appearance had something to do with that. But, you know, you kind of dive in and you take advantage of an opportunity. And ultimately, you're either good enough or you're not. You don't get to keep those jobs just because of your color, right? So um, it's, uh, you know, it was a challenge at the front end because you didn't think you could do it. But people have helped me. You know, my uh, ethnicity, my religion, all of those things are things that I'm proud of. You know, I, there was a time when I thought I needed to change my name, right? And oh, make my. it like a, a, an English name, right? Uh, or a Canadian name. And and I didn't, you know, and then and then a buddy of mine who was in the industry getting into it around the same time, just we talked about how liberating it was. And, I, you know, I want it I, I want it said correctly. I don't even just want I just don't don't even want my name. I don't want yeah. it. Um, you know, I, I, it's, it's Farhan. Right. It's it's yeah. different. So I, I want it said correctly. All those things uh, matter to, you know, to you when you get those opportunities. Um, I wanted just to, to transition a little bit to the Canucks and, and thank you so much for for sharing that. And and it's great. Like I, I think about all the kind of people like Harmon and and um, Do- Dolly Wall and, and everyone. So it's, it's great to see, especially in Vancouver, all the diversity. Um, and now I wanted to just switch the Canucks. Um, there's been a lot going on. You were just at the Bruce Boudreaux uh, presser. Um, he might be leaving. Um, there's uh there's the Bo Horvat situation. Um, there's the Tanner Pearson situation. Uh, JT Miller. I could go on and on. Obviously, you know this. Um, as someone that's covered the Canucks for so long, has this year been maybe the most dysfunctional Canucks season you've ever witnessed? Yeah, yeah, I think so. You know, and I've I've been through a few of them, right? And uh, up until now, I, I always used to call the Mark Messier era the dark ages of, of covering Vancouver Canucks hockey, right? Um, and there was a level of dysfunction that went on there too. Uh, you know, when Mike Keenan was there, there was such a revolving door of players and, uh, and just the way that whole thing went down from, you know, getting rid of Trevor Linden and, you know, so there was a lot there. So I, you know, I, I don't want to completely give into recency bias, you know, and, and the John Tortorella season, uh, had some drama around it. We expected worse, right? Certainly the, the Calgary episode going down the hallway was yeah. weird and, you know, uh, you know, and then the way it ended, but, um, yeah, I would say this, along with the Mike Keenan era, are probably the two that, that really, really stand out. And it, what surprises me about this particular piece of it is that Jim Rutherford's got a Hall of Fame resume. Uh, he knows how to do this. So I'm surprised to see it go down the way it has and the decisions that have been made to be made. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to miss those two guys, both Bruce Boudreau and Bo Horvat, when they're gone. And it seems inevitable that that's going to happen. And Bruce hasn't been here that long, but while he's been here, He's been such a pleasant individual to deal with. His record as a regular season head coach speaks for itself. So it's not like he can't do the job, but the roster is certainly terrible. The, the locker room has become toxic. Uh, every day there seems to be something. You know, usually I go through a pattern the last few years in my job where, you know, I, I the Canucks season starts, but then I'm once that's kind of off and running, I dive into the CFL playoffs and then I dive into the college football playoffs and then the NFL playoffs and by the time I circle back to really sinking my teeth into the Canucks and, you know, I'm at games here and there, but then by the time I'm fully available to be locked into it, they're out of it and no one's talking about him anymore, but right now everybody's talking about him and it's for all the wrong reasons. So, um, you know, change is, is a part of professional sport. It's part of all life, but there's a way to handle it. And I just don't think they've handled it well. 
And and who's that to blame most for, I guess, handling the boost Boudreaux, but also just like what, like who's the person to blame most? Obviously it's many different parts, but who do you think that is? Yeah, I think it's all of it. And I think the culture, you, you know, you have to look at ownership. You can't go around that, right? Because there's been a way this organization has dealt with things that hasn't always looked good, uh, even when they, you know, brought in Trevor Linden to be the president, right? Like, you know, the the way the order of things happened, it's find the next guy, win the press conference. Uh, you know, it, it's not good. So it starts there uh, because, there, you know, if it's if it's done the right way, then the people below you have to handle things the right way. And then, um, you know, I, certainly there, there's a level of blame to go around as far as as far as Jim Rutherford's handling of, of this specific situation. Uh, you know, so, yeah, there, there's so many layers to it. Right. And there are people that just want to blame the top. And I think that's fair. But. You know, I, I think everybody's got a level of culpability to all of it. I, I guess to to add, I, I listened to the VanCast last night. I was the dot um, on on who <laughs> spoke, spoke to you guys. I didn't want to out myself, yeah. um, but dot is better than bot, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I want to ask because you mentioned, like, I asked about ownership, and then um, you mentioned the retool versus rebuild with Jim Rutherford, who said they're in a the Canucks are in a retool. How do you see that going another retool for Canucks? And is there any way it's successful? Yeah, I don't know how it's successful. You know, they've got some contracts they need to move. They haven't shown an ability to move it. I think in order to move it, they're either going to have to offer significant sweeteners or a buyout, right? And there's pain associated with both of that, right? And, and you know, the, and the problem is, is that you're trying to bring these guys in on reclamation projects. And, and that's kind of part of the philosophy. And that really is what Jim Benning tried to do. And that didn't work for him. And it, you know, I, I don't know that it works here, right? Like you go get an Alexi Lafreniere who didn't work out in New York. Now you're going to bring him here and all of a sudden everything's going to change around him. And, you know, there's a reason teams part with those guys, right? So um, I'm really concerned, right? And then if you bring in draft picks, there's some time that comes with that. But, you know, that might be the right way to do things and you clear the decks. But, you know, it, it would be a lot of pain because I do believe it's going to be tough to go to a Pedersen and Hughes and say, this is what we're going to do. Uh, you know, can you handle it? Because I don't think they can, right? I mean, I've predicted before that Pedersen is going to be uh, on his way and he'll be, you know, the Canucks version of Kachuk and Gaudreau. Mm -hmm. So that'll be that'll be uh, disappointing to, to have some of the work done in a rebuild and not be able to see it through because of the mistakes made and how they've doubled down on poor spending and inefficient deals. So, um, you know, if they had done it right, like, you know, just imagine a world where they didn't sign or didn't trade for Oliver Ekman Larson and all those other contracts are off the books and they didn't sign JT Miller and they found a way to trade him for whatever they could. But, you know, you, you turn back and people talk about asset protection, but there's also opportunity costs. So the money you spent on JT, you could have spent elsewhere. So, you know, imagine if just, just those two moves didn't happen. Right. And you had extended Pedersen instead of bridging him. Um, you know, you could have kept Bo Horvat and you could have, you could have added some additional meaningful pieces rather than, the amount of money that's been wasted. And, and some of that is Benning's era. Some of that is Rutherford's era. So I just don't know how a retool goes well, but both paths are painful and complicated. And, and I mean, I guess in terms of the retool there, it sounds like all indications as you've kind of reported is that Horvat's going to get traded. And I know uh, Rick Dollywalt just mentioned like earlier today that they haven't let the, the Canucks haven't let, um, Bo Horvat's agents uh, speak to other teams. Do you think that's the right thing? Would you do a sign and trade if you're the Canucks? Yeah, I would for sure. You know, and, and ultimately, I think that I, I think it's only going to increase the market. Now, they, you know, they've, they've got five teams that seem to be legitimately interested. So you can stoke the market 
and get as much as you can. I don't know if they believe what Bo is asking for would scare off the market, but it, you know, it might bring uh, it, some clarity to some people. And, and, you know, I think most of the people that are bringing him in right now understand it's in a rental situation, but I, I don't know how you decrease his value because if all of a sudden um, his asking price is too high, he can still survive as a rental in the current market. So I think in, inevitably within the next few days, I think they are going to give the most serious suitors an opportunity to talk to his agent. I, I think that'll happen. So um, it, yeah, it, I, to be honest, I think they should have done it sooner, but they have to decide that, you know, how long do you want to wait? Right. Because the longer you wait, does he become more marketable because he costs more teams, less dollars on their books? Or if you get rid of him now, it potentially helps your draft position, right. By not having him in the roster. But, you know, I think they're a little misguided being as desperate as they are to have a roster player coming back. I'm not sure that's the right thing, but uh, you know, it's clearly what they want to do. Um, and I, I wanted to switch a little bit to, to talk it and boost bro Joe, like you just came from, like the press conference, like how do you think the Canucks have handled this whole situation? And and in terms of it sounds like Rick Tockett will come back next week or start as the new head coach next week. And and is he the right fit? And I guess another question, sorry to, to give you so many, but does this kind of affect Vancouver's reputation with coaches and players on how they've handled this situation? Yeah, completely. It's going to affect the reputation on a number of areas, right? It just speaks to a lack of um, class and professionalism. And so, yeah, they're going to have to wear that. And uh, it'll take a while to rebuild trust in the marketplace. Not here, but we're talking about the NHL marketplace, right? To your point. So I, I don't like the way they've handled it. I mean, they had a lot of different options, right? And people all were trying to theorize as to why they're going this way. They don't want to bring a coach in at this point because they don't want to pay an extra guy. They don't want the the dead cat bounce, right? Of, uh, of um, what, you know, what Rutherford or what Boudreaux was able to bring them last year. Uh, you know, they want a coach to also maybe come in and be able to establish some systems and change the culture because things have gone so bad and kind of have that in place going into the offseason. There's a lot of theories as to why. Um, for me, I probably would have let Boudreaux ride out the season and just finish out and then bring Rick Tockett at the end. If they really, really hated what Boudreaux was doing that much, have Mike Yo come in. Like they could have done this a week ago yeah. or two weeks ago while they were trying to figure out what they were going to do with Rick Tockett, right? I mean, just like you know, we had Stan Smeal as essentially the de facto president and general manager for like two days yeah. before Rutherford was announced, yeah. right? And and Smeal came in to win the press conference, right? So that Francesco Aquilini didn't have to take all the arrows. So Smeal came in and everybody loves Steamer. So that's the way it went. And then yeah. a couple of days later, Jim Rutherford gets rolled out there. So, you know, there were ways to do it. And I just think they picked a really poor way to, to handle it and treat a well-respected good guy really poorly. Um, I guess to, to end off another thing, I, I mean, uh, I guess I'll ask this and then maybe if you have any bright spot on the Canucks season or any player, but can you maybe just quickly outline for fans the Tanner Pearson situation and what happened there? Multiple surgeries. Um, yeah, I mean, just complications around his injury, right? And so I can't tell you exactly who dropped the ball and when uh, or if it was just the course of the injury as the Canucks would have you believe that nobody did anything wrong. It just happened to be that we got an infection and it just happened to be that we needed, you know, he had a setback and, you know, I, I, I'm not buying that. Right. I do think that there's a bit of culpability there, um, you know, as far as the team is concerned, but I, I think that the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle, but uh, either way, um, uh, you know, there was a significant setback. There were more surgeries. There probably are still going to be more surgeries ahead 
he's not going to play this year. And I think there's a lot of people concerned that he might not play at least to start next season. And that, that could go a little deeper. Right. So he's got one more year left on his deal. Uh, you know, they'll obviously get the LTI benefit this year, but hopefully they're not dumb enough to spend it. Right. Um, and we'll see what it looks like next year. Yeah. Um, I wanted to transition a little bit to the CFL from that, you know, very fun conversation on the doom and gloom of the Vancouver Canucks um, to the CFL and, and some kind of, you know, uplifting stuff. Obviously, you coach football. And I want to ask you a little bit about um, kind of Nathan Rourke, the, you know, the Canadian quarterback who signed with the Jaguars. And as uh, as a coach yourself, do you think he could be a big role model for future kids wanting to play football in Canada? Yeah, I think so. And people have asked me that, you know, how much of a negative is this for the CFL? And it is somewhat like there's no way around it. Nathan Ork playing uh, in nine stadiums across the league on a weekly basis, uh, selling tickets uh, is better for the league than him being in the NFL. However, for football in Canada and the entire football ecosystem, uh, I'm not sure what's better, right? Like Nathan Ork, if he gets a starting opportunity in the NFL is 1000% better. Like that's just the way it is because um, he'll have a bigger platform. He'll have more sponsors that want to make him visible. And that will help more people want to play football and set high goals and dreams for themselves uh, that maybe don't watch the CFL, right? And I love the CFL. I think it's a fantastic league. And, you know, I'm assuming Nathan Rourke will be that person that Doug Flutie and Jeff Garcia and Warren Moon was that always had great things to say about the CFL and was a great ambassador, right? So, you know, I think I think both of those things can happen, it, you know, and People will, will quibble about the, the place he chose to go to at Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence there. And it's a fair concern because now you are purely dependent on an injury. Like you can't beat Trevor Lawrence out, yeah. right? He's one of a small handful of quarterbacks that's going to have a job for a really long time. And, but great coaching situation, completely stable front office. They got a bonus. He's got an advocate in the building. They clearly want him there and are going to give him a chance to develop. So if he does good things in training camp and in the preseason, and maybe gets to play, you know, in the event of injury a few times in the next couple of years, he could set himself up for the next NFL opportunity, which will be much better uh, than had he stayed and played a couple of extra seasons in the CFL. So it's disappointing for the CFL for sure. Hopefully he continues to say good things and promote the league, which I expect him to. But in terms of grassroots football and the entire football ecosystem, if Nathan Rourke gets a chance to play on Sundays, it's a big win for the sport in this country. And, and I guess to transition a little bit to the CFL, uh, the league itself, where do you see the state of the CFL right now with, you know, they missed the season with COVID and, and where do you see it right now? Yeah, you know, I, look, I think it's done well coming out of COVID and I think, you know, attendance has gotten a good place in, uh, in 2022 and I, and I think they're progressing in the right direction. I think we need more owners like Amar Doman in some of the other cities and, and I hope that winds up happening. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it's growing and, you know, our numbers late in the year on TSN were pretty good. You're also looking at a, uh, a new uh, US TV deal that's going to get announced that is going to have some revenue attached to it, which is a positive. I think what the Genius Sports uh, deal is going to do for the league, uh, you know, could be transformative down the road. You know, uh, we just talked about some of the, uh, you know, the new ways to watch the NFL playoffs uh, through Genius on TSN Plus, mm -hmm. right, with a bunch of uh, graphics and additional information and things like that, like an alternate feed and you know, I, I think there's a chance that could happen for the CFL next year. So uh, that's watching the game in ways that younger people probably want to watch it and want to bet on it and be able to have that live betting experience. So um, I think if they can take advantage of all of those things, it could really uh, put the league on a, on a much better trajectory. So 
Um, you know, I, I'm not as doom and gloom as I was, you know, during and just after COVID. I think it's moving in the right direction. And, you know, hopefully here in BC without Nathan Rourke, they can still continue to build off the good work that Amar Doman and Rick Campbell and mm -hmm. uh, Neil uh, McAvoy put together. I wanted to to go off that to, to the NFL. Obviously, uh, the playoffs are, are tomorrow uh, in the divisional round. And I guess not to make you kind of, you know, project every win or loss in, in the next round. Who do you see making the, the Super Bowl and do you have a Super Bowl pick? Uh, it's a good question. You know, up until about a month ago, I had Cincinnati and Philadelphia in the Super Bowl. Okay. Um, now I think it could be Kansas City and San Francisco. And I say that because the injury Cincinnati has along their offensive line, um, I think could affect them. And I think that game being in Buffalo, uh, whereas had Cincinnati won, if they had completed the DeMar Hamlin game, it could have been a little different. I think, I think playing in Buffalo and the injuries they've got, I think might allow Buffalo to have the edge in that game. And um, I think the way Kansas city plays, I think playing in a neutral site on the turf, I think is going to help them. Right. It, in that scenario. So I think Kansas city can make its way through. Uh, and then on the other side, like San Francisco is awesome, right? Like yeah. their team is loaded in so many areas. They're getting more healthy with Debo Samuel coming back a couple of weeks ago and Brock Purdy's not going to be the reason they lose, right? Like people will, will question that all the way through, but look like Jalen hurts is great. as he's had, he's only in his second year as a starter. And I love Jalen hurts. A great story. High character guy. Hope he does well. Um, but I just think the San Francisco team overall is better. And Brock Purdy's doing enough where he's not going to be the reason they lose. Like when San Francisco played Kansas City in the Super Bowl, at some point, Jimmy was going to be the reason. And he wasn't going to be able to make a key play at a key time. It was just a case of when. I don't think that'll happen with Brock Purdy in the NFC playoffs. So I do think Kansas City and San Francisco are going to wind up having a rematch uh, this year in Phoenix. And, and just before I let you go, who, who do you see winning that matchup? I don't know. I don't know. Um, you, you know, like if you ask me today, I'd probably say San Francisco. Yeah. But so, you know, like I said, I, three weeks ago, I had a different pick in the AFC yeah. with Cincinnati. So a lot can happen between now and then. So um, uh, that uh, that pick is not going to come with a bullet. That That's just very, very gray and early and tentative right now. Well, well, thanks so much for coming on. I just wanted to give you the floor, uh, floor Farhan. Just is there anything you want to plug, like the van cast or anything else for, for listeners to keep their eyes and ears open for? Well, yeah, I mean, feel free to, to listen and subscribe to The Athletic. It's, uh, you know, I, like I spend a lot of time on it just reading because it's it's a great platform. And I enjoy doing the podcast with Harm in the live rooms with Drancer. And then also TSN, you know, we've got these we've got great games coming up and great coverage with the NFL playoffs here, and that'll take us into, uh, you know, the combine and CFL free agency and, <coughs> excuse me, a number of other topics. So uh, anyone who can tune in and tell me I'm old, I appreciate. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, yeah, best of luck to the, the rest of the Canucks season and uh, the Super Bowl and everything else. Thanks for having me, Adam.